best kind of Sunday when I'm out of breath already. Will you all join me in prayer? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The birth of Jesus. Luke 2, verses 10 through 14. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you. Wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. A little further, Luke 19, 37 through 38. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. At the birth of Jesus, the angels sang glory to God, peace on earth. And at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the disciples, the people gathered around Jesus, saying, glory to God, peace in heaven. On this Palm Sunday, we find ourselves in what Presbyterian pastor, Reverend William G. Carter, calls a crossfire of blessings. Upon Jesus' birth, angels joined together. They proclaimed peace on earth. And upon Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the disciples proclaim a blessing back to heaven. Peace be to heaven. Peace to you and peace to you. And here is Jesus, the literal embodiment of peace. And he's stuck in the middle between two places. He's suspended between heaven and earth. Jesus is feeling the pressure of his time on earth coming to an end. He's taking notice that the world is still in need of healing, that the people are still crying out for miracles. In a lot of ways, we too know this tension. We know what it's like to be caught in the crossfires, to have families that can't get along, to have friends with differing views, to feel pulled in every direction at work or at home, to yearn for peace when all we really see is war. Luke's account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem doesn't have the palm branches. It doesn't have the people singing, Hosanna! 
when we come to church on Palm Sunday, those are two big things we probably all expect. Luckily, we already had our children's come in waving the palm branches and singing Hosanna together with all of us. Because if we hadn't done that earlier and we just read our reading today from Luke, we wouldn't have gotten those two signatures of Palm Sunday. And yet, here we are reading Luke's gospel. We're reading a version of this story today that doesn't have the palms. It doesn't have the Hosannas. And still, it's worthy of our time. It is still worthy of our consideration this morning. It's actually kind of perfect that we don't get those two elements because it shows us the tension that is already there. And that's our main focus this morning, tension. What do we do when the story doesn't go the way we thought it would go? When something doesn't look the way we imagined it should look? We began this morning with a reading from Jesus' birth and then a reading from Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, an entry that will ultimately mark Jesus' death. I know some of you may have thought I'd mixed up what holiday we were celebrating when I started reading a passage from the birth of Jesus. But by reading that passage and comparing it with our story today, we are truly leaning into our sermon series, an extraordinary life. All aspects of Jesus's life here on earth are important and they're all intertwined too. We can't just read about Jesus's birth in December and then his resurrection on Easter. We need all of the stories and the fruits of his ministry in the in-between times too. We have to spend time learning who Jesus was as a human and how he impacted the world and everyone he came into contact with. A life is more than birth and death. The in-between moments are important too. Today, Palm Sunday, it's an important part of Jesus' story. As a church, we typically use Palm Sunday to wave our palm branches and shout Hosanna. But really, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, while triumphant at the moment, isn't all butterflies and rainbows. This is the beginning to the end, even if it's only a temporary end. Jesus has been traveling toward Jerusalem basically his entire ministry. Since the ninth chapter of Luke, Jesus and his followers have been making their way to Jerusalem. It's a long journey and it builds this growing tension around what Jesus will meet when he gets there. Let's read the whole story. Luke 19, 28 through 40. After Jesus said this, he continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As Jesus came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. 
He said, go into the village over there. When you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as Jesus had said. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, take note, they replied to the owner this, its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus onto it. As Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had already seen. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, scold your disciples, tell them to stop. Jesus answered them, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. Tension. We've already talked about those obvious differences in Luke's version. The fact that there weren't any palms or any hosannas. We haven't addressed the importance of Jesus arriving into Jerusalem in this fashion, though. It is true that his entry into the city could be happening simultaneously to Pilate's entering the city, which would demonstrate these two very different forms of power converging in one place. It is also true that Jesus is making a statement in this entry. Jesus knows what's happening here. Believe it or not, Passover is, was not the most popular of all of the feasts in this era. However, Passover was a feast filled with political overtones. Passover is the time for Jewish people to remember their deliverance from Egyptian oppression. They were held as slaves by the Egyptians for centuries. Their redemption from that is important to the Jewish people. It's an essential part of their identity. Many Jewish people who were there during the time of Jesus feel oppression. They feel the threat of the Roman Empire. They feel oppressed by the systems that are in place around them. While it is a different form of oppression than what they experienced by the Egyptians, it's a very real feeling for them. Jesus knows what he's doing when he enters Jerusalem on a cult, cult, C-O-L-T, not C-U-L-T, cult. And with his disciples and followers shouting, blessed be the one who comes 
They're preparing the way for Jesus. The people, especially the Pharisees, probably also know what Jesus is doing here. They know that Jesus is making a statement that can have life-threatening consequences. The Pharisees telling Jesus to quiet everyone down and lay low isn't necessarily because the Pharisees hate Jesus or they don't like what he's doing. They could just as easily be really concerned for Jesus's life. Even though riding on a donkey was typically a symbol of peace and showed intentions of coming together to form a treaty or a compromise, by Jesus riding this donkey, Jesus is claiming that he has the power to do so. And claiming power, even with the intent of peace, can be seen as threatening. Crossfires are dangerous territories to find oneself in. A few weeks ago, we talked about the war in Ukraine. Like most of you, I am still hurting for the people affected and all of the lives that have been lost. I'm also struggling with how to balance this hurt with all the other atrocities that happen on a regular basis around the world? How do I care for all people equally and all of the time? It's a big task. It's daunting and overwhelming. What do we do when we feel like our prayers aren't enough? What do we do when we've sent a ton of money and we've done acts of service and built relationships and still war seems to prevail? How do we keep bringing peace when often it can feel futile? After Jesus rides into Jerusalem, we get two recounts, accounts of things that occur during his first day in the city. So this is just after he has entered Jerusalem. We're going to read verses 41 through 48. As Jesus came to the city and observed it, he wept over Jerusalem. He said, if only you knew on this of all days the things that lead to peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The time will come when your enemies will build fortifications around you, encircle you, and attack you from all sides. They will crush you completely, you and the people within you. They won't leave one stone on top of another within you because you didn't recognize the time of your gracious visit from God. When Jesus entered the temple, he threw out those who were selling things there. Jesus said to them, it's written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a hideout for crooks. Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests, the legal experts, and the foremost leaders among the people were seeking to kill him. However, they couldn't find a way to do it because all the people were enthralled with what they heard. Jesus cries for Jerusalem, and then Jesus clears out the temple. 
And as Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, Jesus says these words, if only you knew on this of all days the things that lead to peace. I've become fixated on those words. If only you knew the things that lead to peace. When we think of Ukraine and other acts of violence and oppression and war in the world, what are the things that lead to peace that we're missing? As Christians, it can be tempting sometimes to soften Jesus up, to make Jesus relatable and easygoing and down to earth. But I think if we were around when Jesus was alive, he probably would have made most of us pretty uncomfortable. You see, Jesus went against the norms. He was seen as an extreme person. He pushed against the empire and the systems that existed. Not just, not just systems in the city and in the places of politics, but he pushed against even the systems of his own faith, his own culture. Jesus wept over cities. Jesus turned over tables. A few years ago, I read a short line of poetry that still comes to mind anytime I think of the word peace and how I often expect peace to manifest in the world. As a mom of a toddler, when I think of peace, often I think of a tranquil bath or a massage or one of those lazy mornings in bed. I have this idyllic setting for how I think peace should look. Now, I'm not so naive as to believe that peace after a really deadly war looks like everyone hugging and singing kumbaya. But often, even in war, I do imagine some type of happy ending eventually. Then I remember the quote I read. You keep pairing me with quiet, peace said, but my true companion is the mighty clamor of chains being ripped clean from the wall. If I'm being honest, I have to admit that I think this may be a little bit more like the peace Jesus came for. What are the things that lead to peace? Not the things that lead to comfort or to pleasure or to pat yourself on the back feeling, but peace. This is the tension. What if peace is not comfortable? What if peace disrupts our life? What if we are still missing the mark at bringing about peace? Jesus' triumphant entry doesn't lead to happy, carefree days. It leads to turn tables, to last meals, to Good Friday. We have to live into each moment of Jesus' extraordinary life. 
it's totally okay for us to shout Hosanna today and wave our palm branches high. We know the rest of the story. We know the resurrection and the hope and the promise that peace is attainable. But we can't forget the story in between today and Easter morning. It's important for each of us as followers of Christ to engage in every aspect of Holy Week. If we're here from, for Palm Sunday today and then we just come back for Easter, we've missed a lot of that story. We need to remember the Last Supper on Maundy Thursday. We need to spend time grieving and recognizing loss on Good Friday. I mentioned earlier, but we will have services here in the sanctuary, Monday, Thursday at 7, Good Friday at 7, a family service here at 6. The traditional ones will all be live streamed too. I encourage you to really consider joining us, finding some way to recognize the days leading up to Easter. We can't overlook the story. Crossfires can be dangerous and invigorating. They can remind us how important our voice is. They can propel us toward peace. I cannot wait to celebrate with all of you on Easter morning and to remember the life and legacy of Jesus Christ in the in-between days, too. If we are called to things that lead to peace, how do we adjust our lives accordingly? How do we work toward bringing about peace in a hurting world? Jesus was the embodiment of peace in a dangerous time and in an invigorating way where everyone wanted to know more. May we, too, continue to fight for the ways of peace in the world. May it be so.